All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the We're Talking Football podcast. I'm Weston. With me, as always, my right-hand man, Lou. We are coming off of championship weekend with the AFC and NFC championships. Yet another weekend of very close and competitive playoff games. We now know who the Super Bowl participants will be, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. We'll get to those championship games here, Lou, in, in just a second. But we do inch closer to the official offseason where things heat up for us and um, covering and starting this weekend with the Senior Bowl. Before you know it, we'll be into free agency. And shortly thereafter, we're going to have the 2022 NFL draft knocking on our, our front door. I know you're excited. This this is it feels like this is always like your time of year to get into the free agency, um, all the all the nuggets around that cap casualties, things that we'll cover in short order. But I know you are fanatical about the draft. And I know now both of our teams are out of this equation. So you have to be excited for this time of year. Yeah, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I fought, being that I follow a mediocre franchise, I'll be the first one to say, I think the offseason is way better than the regular season. Uh, it's like it's like when you were young. Remember back in the day, you used to like um, look at the, like the Toys R Us catalog, what toys you wanted to pick out. Then you got them, you were excited, and then two days later, you never played with them again. So... The, the, the anticipation of like the you know the season is always greater than the season itself. Uh, you know when you when you follow a mediocre team. Now if you follow you know a good franchise that's always competitive, uh, you know, i.e. the Chiefs or what have you, the Patriots. Then no, this is a stupid thing to say. But for me, in my standpoint, this is my my shopping for Christmas for myself type stuff. Love it. So before we dive into t- today's actual topic, so <clears throat> we'll recap the championship games. Uh, spoiler alert, we're going to give out our end of year awards and we're going to reflect back on our mid-year awards and how those might differ. Some will, some probably won't um, based on, on performances. But there's been some other pretty wild things that have been brought to light in the league over this past week. Candidly, for me, Lou, it's, it's not surprising news, but it now has very public light being casted upon it, and it relates to an all-too-familiar and an all-too-unfair hiring practices and behind-the-scenes shenanigans um, as it relates to obtaining head coaching jobs in the NFL. So at the center of this is Brian Flores, the former Miami Dolphin head coach and longtime New England uh, assistant. But what's unique here is the story actually has two fronts to it. Mm-hmm. One that seems like it's just been a common theme, um, indicative of the institution of a thing called the Rooney Rule in the first place. That seems to just be a joke to a lot of these NFL teams um, and something that is constantly just, I don't want to say overlooked, but boxes checked to just do enough so that ownership and teams can can ultimately get to the person that they want in the first place but there's a unique element to this as well now i mean a term we're all familiar with is tanking but now there appears to be dollars and cents associated to coaches tanking so i want to start why with why this story is as ugly 
as it is. And I'm going to start with, to me, the, the lesser of the two evils. And that's the, the indication by Brian Flores and now even Hugh Jackson bringing this to light post this, um, this conversation that ownership has approached coaches to pay them to purposely lose games to have better draft position. Can I cut you now, off right there? If that yeah, is yeah. if that is true, wouldn't you Jackson be on the Forbes top like 100 list? Yes, if he agreed to it, right? <laughs> like if you look at the actual losses, yes. I mean that that, that, that guy should be like loaded. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like he got a low ball number though in comparison. I think it was like 50k loss where Flores was being well, offered well, yeah, 100k yeah, per loss. You have to understand inflation, uh, different markets. You know, yeah. I mean, of course, of, of course. Uh, you know, that was years ago uh, with Hugh Jackson. But go ahead. Sorry, didn't mean to cut but, you off there. No, you're fine. But I do feel like the story has a little bit of merit, right? Like, I don't think Brian Flores brings it to attention if he doesn't have evidence to back it up in the first place right because then it's just like hearsay but to be paid or offered a hundred grand to lose games by an owner that has direct affiliations with gambling companies like you're in pete rose territory now right where you're like literally you're right like you're 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 making hundreds of millions off of your hundred thousand that you're willing to pay to control the game. And what I love all more about it is Brian Flores going, fuck you. I'm going to win eight out of nine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that. But to me, that's just like, that's egg on the face for the NFL. And they have to do something about that. Like if they can prove that that was actually something that took place. And I believe it is. I don't believe Brian Flores just to make that allegation without some merit to it. Jeffrey Ross has to, has to be forced to sell the Miami Dolphins. Like I don't see another alternative yeah. there. hundred percent agree. He is messing with the integrity of the game. This would be so, if this is true and there has to be some merit, you can just tell why else would you fire a coach who's had success? Uh, we stated on this show when he first got fired at Flores that, Hey, um, the reason one of the reasons why was not performance is more he clash upper management, right? That's what we literally said, and that's what the rumors that were going out uh, going around. Lo and behold, did, did we know that the clash of upper management? Will pro- if you you know, there's a little smoke there was probably the the tanking of the season and you know other things as well. Uh, so yeah, you, you're agree when you're messing with the integrity of the game, this would be so easy for the NFL to rectify uh, to, to rectify. This issue, all you have to do is look over to your, you know, your sister sport, Major League Baseball, see what they did, Pete Rose, boom, you get out of there. You're no longer affiliated with the sport whatsoever because you're right. You're messing with the integrity of the game. You're also messing with, you know, uh, revenues and also, with, with, you know, they're in bed with, the, you know, gambling, what have you. So, yeah, Ross has to be forced easily, has to be forced to sell that team. You're going to hear me say this a couple of times. But the NFL is only as good as its brand and its reputation. And they've come out and said that, right? Like that shield represents a brand. And this is going to tarnish the brand tremendously. I mean, you're you're talking about essentially fixing games, right? And like with a league that is so now embedded with legalized sports gambling in, in certain states, like that's just a bad look. And here's the reality. I was going to say real quick, you think that the Dolphins are only one that, that uh, did this? 
What about the Eagles that one year? Yeah. What about the Eagles? I, they, you don't think they tanked, man? Come on. They pulled I, starters and stuff like that in the middle of a game and they were up. And Come on. I, I don't think Ross came up with this idea on his own, right? This is a tight-knit community. He probably has heard this through the grapevine, figured he can do it because like every owner in the NFL, they get away with shit at left and right. But for the NFL – based on these other allegations from Brian Flores and many other coaches prior to him, him taking a stance, this seems to be the one that you can correct immediately. Mm -hmm. Quick with, and swift. Yeah. Like you can just like literally like put this to bed. Now here's like, like, with like a guillotine, chop yeah. it off. Let it you it's know. over head of the snake. Got to go. Right. But so I said that was the lesser of two evils because this other one is a problem that just continuously plagues the NFL. And you hear about it every single offseason. You hear about it directly from coaches who feel like they're not getting or potential coaches that don't feel like they're getting a full shake. You hear it in the form of the NFL um, <clears throat> penalizing teams in some capacity of not adhering to the Rooney rule, which – to listeners unfamiliar with it, I hope you are familiar with this. The Rooney rule signifies that in your coaching search, um, specifically for your head coach, you have to interview at least one. The term would be minority, minority coach, but a coach from an underrepresented group or community, right? Like that's what it really boils down to, to be much more politically correct. And teams do it, but they don't do it efficiently. They do it to check the box, right? There are, are plenty of, of coaches of color and very specific backgrounds that are more than capable, but the NFL, and we all know this, we've always known this. It's just full of the good old boys, right. That are just this conglomerate that sits above you billionaires that want to hire the people they know want to hire the people that they quote unquote trust. And it's all, and it's always been, well before this about relationships and those relationships tend to be with predominantly white coaches fair or unfair that's the reality of the scenario the unfair element of it is again they're like, like look at brian flores right like don't tell me this guy is not a qualified coach right like there are plenty of of again coaches of color that have that will give their team the same if not better opportunities to win than the traditional quote-unquote you know white coach out there and these allegations are are serious right like and it's brought to light when you got someone like bill belichick texting the wrong guy this is why the elderly shouldn't have technology in their hands right <laughs> like he just couldn't figure i'm more impressed that he's got an iphone when all said and done right but like texting the wrong guy and you it calls out a legacy dynasty in the New York Giants and and Matt, John Mara, who's one of the good old boys, back to his father, Wellington Mara, you know, being called out that like, hey, we already know we're going to hire Brian uh, Dable and we're just checking the box here with Brian Flores, right? Like, and I believe every element of this because I know it happens every year for these teams. I believe every element. Then you see like, Hey, they showed up to, you know, when he went to go interview for the Denver Broncos, you know, Elway and company showing up hammered, untucked, like hung over from the night before, not taking it seriously. It, it, it just constantly repeats itself in so many forms. And I applaud Brian Flores because he's dude, he's, he's 
he's become and will become the Colin Kaepernick of coaches. Colin Kaepernick sacrificed his NFL career for something that he believed in and spoke out about social injustice and things of those issues as a player uh, with his forum. Brian Flores is doing it as a coach using his forum. And I know he's still like in the running for a couple spots and whatnot. And I think honestly, that's some teams like trying to save face. Like, Hey, like we understand the allegations, but we love this guy. We want to interview him. Don't know if he'll be hired. Don't know if he'll ever get a head coaching job in the NFL ever again, because the reality is, is ownerships are not going to want that distraction and what comes with it. So again, I applaud Brian Flores. He took a giant leap of faith in doing this and sabotaging essentially his and I'm sabotaging is not the right word. Um, crushing his his hopes and his dreams and in a game that he loves and something that he is clearly good at by going out on that limb. And that's why I believe all of these allegations are true to the T. Like I don't. I don't I don't for one second think there's any fabrication in what he is saying took place because we know this takes place. You hear owners make comments at the time like what was it the Houston Texans owner said the one time this is what happens when you let the inmates run the asylum or something along those lines, right? Like this is the mentality of the good old boys and this these executive members of the NFL i.e. the owners um and it's it's sad. Like I feel bad for Brian Flores, but I hope it's I hope it casts enough light that the NFL says the Rooney rule is not enough. There needs to be more. Um, I don't know what more is. I'm not I'm not educated enough to say what more is, but there has to be more and there has to be harsher punishments for not adhering to the rules and the guidelines that set. But my biggest fear, Lou, and I'll let you comment on this, is that. The NFL does what it always does, flux, flexes its muscle, makes sure that none of this gets investigated, pays out whoever they need to pay out, slaps a couple fines on a couple teams, revokes a couple draft picks, and sweeps it right under the rug. Because the one thing I can promise you, and I would bet my life and the life of my family on this, that if they went digging, right, if the Supreme Court gets involved in this and they hire their own outside investigation team, the NFL will come tumbling down and they know that. And they know that because as intelligent as these owners are to get to where they are in life, they have all cut corners. They have all done shady things. They have all done that. And they honestly, and forgive my language, probably didn't give a fuck along the way while they were doing it. So they probably didn't care to even cover tracks in any capacity because they knew that fraternity was always going to protect each other and sweep it under the rug. So the NFL is going to have to do what they have to do, but they do not want this being investigated by an outside source because it's not going to end well because it's not going to just be about Brian Flores. It's going to be about 40 to 50 other minority coaches that have gone through this exact same scenario. I mean, you hit everything, you know, nail right on the head every uh, right there. And getting back to that Rooney rule, um, Correct me if I'm wrong. That established with the Steelers because of Mike Tomlin and everything that they had. They just brought him in um, to an interview, just to interview, and they were blown away by him. And they like they had 
no intention of hiring Mike Tomlin. Like they wanted someone else. But the fact that like is that how it's, are you familiar? Is that how it's you know how the Rooney Rule kind of like stemmed out? I'd be speaking out of turn if I said exactly when it sounds familiar, sounds about right from a timing perspective as to how long the, the Rooney rules been around specifically because the Rooney family owns the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it yeah. would make sense. Um, but if I said it was that exact scenario, I'd be speaking. Out I, of thought, so I thought I thought something like that. I might, I might, I might be misspoken here. Uh, in theory, great idea. Uh, the Rooney rule, uh, because it was, at the forefront uh, of addressing something that was never even mentioned back then. So great idea. Unfortunately, that it's just a theory and it's poor execution, you know, from here on out. And people are going to do, you know, people in power are going to do what they want to do and they're going to find loopholes to do what they want to do. And that's exactly what's been establishing. Now you were saying, Hey, I don't know what, you know, how, what's, how to uh, change the system or what have you. And unfortunately, there's two ways you can do it: positive reinforcement, and negative reinforcement. I don't know how negative reinforcement to teams and how that would be like uh, judged or like uh, you know determined. Like, hey, you did not do uh, justice when it comes to uh, you know authentically authentically uh, interviewing uh, minority candidates. So that then leads me to the positive reinforcement. If you were just like what they did recently, I think if you hired a, a coordinator, a, a minority coordinator to a, a promotion, uh, the other team gets uh, additional draft compensation. Why can't they do it with head coaching now too? Yeah. So why can't they like if you not if you just hire a, a, a you know a minority you know head coach, you receive additional draft compensation. I feel like that could be the beginning of a start to changing what's uh you know these loopholes. But if I have a difference of opinion, I think uh, there's the there's Brian Flores's truth. There could be the New York Giants and John Mara's truth, uh, and then there's the real truth. And I'm sure there's something in between. And what I'm saying that is we really don't know the fact that like if, if this was uh, like racially uh, motivated. Uh, yeah. Motivated. They could have just been floored by Brian Dabble. I mean, Brian Dowell has been getting a lot of play these last couple of years. It's not like he's came out of nowhere. This isn't like Joe Judge. You see, what I'm saying like Brian Dowell was was a high, was a big commodity, and uh, these last two years. So maybe they really liked him. But you know, uh, you're in HR, you understand, and you still want to interview as many candidates as possible just to see, you, uh, maybe you know, just to see pretty much. Hey, maybe there's something we're missing here, or maybe there's another role for this uh, person, or what have you. Uh, so we don't know the real truth. So it should be interesting as things fold out. But I am 100% on board, Jeffrey Ross. If this, I, I, I agree with you. I think 100% that happened. Uh, you can probably tell uh, some of the things that happened by uh, the fighting between this. All the Tua Fitzpatrick thing now makes sense. Yep. Pulling pulling two up for Fitzpatrick to win the games. That's a big F you I felt like by Flores. And I think that really was the the reason why <clears throat> uh you know the part of the reason why he got fired. And especially things came out that he didn't want Tua in the draft and, and what have you. So uh there's a lot to cipher out here. I will disagree with you with this. I feel like the NFL has been down this road before and we've heard this all the like just like the world. The world's going to end in three years, Weston. The world's no. been ending since it's formed. You know, since it's been formed, 
that we hear this all the time. This could be the death blow to the NFL. And I hate to say this, but like, I think the NFL is kind of Teflon uh, because of the product uh, and because, you know, the popularity and the global, the globalization of it seemed to be. So, yeah, I, don't know. I, I agree in the sense of the Teflon. Um, I think the the real way that the league comes tumbling down is once the players start like uniting and taking stances and doing those things because they are the product, right? The players are the product when all said and done. People don't go to the game to watch the coaches. They go watch the players. Um, and these individuals are usually talented enough that along the lines they can say like, oh, I could just go play baseball. I could go play in the NBA. I can go do something different versus playing in the NFL. And that starts at, a, at at the youth, right? Like where do they focus their efforts? So that can change things. Uh, my biggest fear is no matter what the instituted change might be, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, like whatever it is, is it just feels forced, right? And it doesn't feel, it feels fake. It doesn't feel genuine. I do agree you have to, to start somewhere to make this reality and just bridge the the equity gap that is the nfl right like there's no other way to explain it i think what would be most glaring and obvious <clears throat> is if there was more minority owners in the nfl right like then it would just have a different framework but you can take a look around the nfl and there aren't you know what i mean it just mm -hmm. it's not um so I, I don't know. And I'd be, again, I'd be stepping out of turn if I was like, this is what should take place. This is what shouldn't take place. What I know is, is that like, it's happening way too frequently. They're the fraternity that is the NFL is letting these owners just, just get away with it with like slaps on the wrist, slaps on the wrist, slaps on the wrist. And I think something needs to be done i'm just not sure what that something is um, yeah i think that's above our pay both of our pay grades <laughs> yeah it sure is it sure is but like um it is su it is subject matter that i am interested in i've always been interested in it is subject matter that um i i will be tuned into right and does reflect even my outlook on on the nfl maybe it was the way i was raised or or whatever it is but it's you know, the belief in the Smith household is there's a fair shake of the leg for everyone and anyone, regardless of where you come from um, or, or, you know, what group you represent. It, it's that, that's it. And we're like, we're, we're all equal. We're all people. We we all bleed. We all have hearts. Um, you know, that that's just what it is. And like this tarnishes that a little bit for me, maybe even more so as I'm as an adult where it's more glaringly obvious, whereas a child you don't see those things in a league that you love. But now an adult, you not only see it in the real world, you see it in things that are distractions from the real world for you, but yet the real world continues to like rear its ugly head um, in those regards. So now, again, Weston, we'll yeah, I'll tell you right now, we've, uh, we've disagreed a lot on this show, I would say through the first uh, like 38, 37 episodes and what have you, but this is something I think, uh, you know, I can honestly say 100% I'm in lockstep with you and 100% agree. And it's something that this show will stay tuned on. I know we don't have, I know we only have a couple million followers, but, you know, like we will. got to start somewhere though. Yeah, know? and I, I will be heavily tuned into this throughout 
the season and and moving forward and now more of the off season when it's going to be a topic of conversation yeah. uh for first and foremost so all right we digress but more to come so let's get into hold on before we get into these games let's yeah. make a little light of the situation we uh, i think a week or two ago we talked about you know when you went went to green bay how sick your mitchell and ness uh, 49ers uh, satin jacket was that gold satin jacket. So I had to dig out of the archives uh, a little hotness myself. And I see it. See. I, I see the shoulders. Boom. Ooh. Boom. Yeah, Mitchell and, blue in there. Mitchell and Ness. This is San Diego Chargers, by the way. This is old. This is how you know throwback. They'll this always is. be the San Diego Chargers to me. But Mitchell and Ness, white and powder blue, baby. Pop your collar, bro. Pop your collar. Uh, <laughs> that is fire, man. Listen, I, I love those powder blues. But uh, it goes well with my eyes. You know? It does make them pop. It makes, makes them pop. Hair, yeah. Makes your hair stand out too. Yeah. <laughs> um, that being said, um, obviously it was championship weekend, AFC championship, NFC championship. Uh, I'm just gonna go in order of the games here. So the early afternoon, um, Late afternoon for us, Sunday game was the Cincinnati Bengals, Hooday versus Chiefs. Um, what a great talking, game, right? This it, was a great game. It was a great game. Great um, outcome, too. <laughs> yeah, didn't yeah, especially for a, a fan of the AFC West. I'll tell you this much. Did a did a, a little bit to dispel your misconception of the overtime rules and oh, coin toss. I, I, I know, didn't it? Didn't it? <laughs> I, just, I listen, Weston. When, uh, when that happened, right? you were like, "Damn it!" <laughs> no, no, no. In overtime, uh, when the the Chiefs won the toss, I'm like, one of two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to be justified, you know, for my beliefs and like, I was accurate. Or the Chiefs well, are going to be lose. crucified. No, or the Chiefs are going to lose. And it was a win-win. It was a win-win yeah. for me. Um, I just found it funny when they won the toss, how the entire stadium was basically like celebrating a win before it even happened, um, completely neglecting what had taken place over the previous two and a half quarters from that offense. Um, I think they felt like it just looked like, the Bills game where offenses were were rolling, but I talked a lot on our, our previous topic, so I'll let I'll let you kick this one off. Uh, give me your thoughts on the game. Great game, better outcome. Uh, I mean, at the you know at the end of the first half, we all thought I probably thought the same exact thing. This game is over. This game is done. It's twenty one twenty one three, right? It was 21-3 at one point, yep. And everyone um, – it was a big stop by the Bengals uh, right before halftime. Instead of kicking the field goal, the Chiefs decided to go for – you know, go for it to go, be up 28-3. to three. Uh, Fantastic play by Eli Apple uh, on Tyreek Hill to, you know, to keep it at 21-3. Announcers made a big deal of it, but I'm like, what are you making a big deal of it? The Chiefs got the ball back anyway in the second half. Uh, so, you know – so what the Bengals stopped what you know the bleeding for what you know fifteen minutes and then they have to go back out there in the second half. Uh, the second half was completely different and kudos to the Bengals defensive coordinator. I don't even know his name, but uh, that's ignorant of me. But I should know his name. He literally changed his game plan to rushing only three pass rushers for the uh, predominantly the the second half and dropping eight in coverage, and that messed up with Mahomes. The, uh, you, there's there's no which way you can say Mahomes choked. His his Q his QBR in the second half was one point four. All right, that is that that is awful, and it wasn't like 
they were really pressuring Mahomes uh, in the second half. It was more of, like I said, them dropping, uh, you know, them dropping eight in coverage, which is kind of crazy because Mahomes had four seconds. He averaged four seconds on throwing attempts in the second half. So when you have four seconds, you think you can get between Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, and all those other guys, you think you can get someone open. And there's no ifs and buts. I personally think Mahomes, you know, cho- you know, choked in this ha- in the second half. And I'm starting to think Mahomes is a fantastic quarterback. He is. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. However, <clears throat> I'm starting to I'm starting to see some chinks in the armor in regards to more of on the mental side. I know the physical. You know, he can run. He has a cannon for his arm, but you know if his guys are not out there making you know, you know making plays for him, I, I have him trouble. I find him I this year was eye opening. He, he's having a little more trouble trusting you know the plays and you know the in his reads and what have you. It's just more of like backyard football. I feel like, and when that doesn't go his way, it gets ugly. It gets ugly pretty you know pretty quick in my opinion. So that's from like a Kansas City standpoint. Um, now Burrow, on the other hand, on the, you know, the flip side, he was smart. You know, he was clutch when people keep on talking about the intangibles of Burrow. This is the game you want to point to this Kansas city game. That's evident of his intangibles. You know, he did, he made some fantastic scrambles, uh, when he was pressured. I feel like that's something he normally doesn't do, but it's just that his awareness to avoid the pressure and slide in the pocket uh, you know, and escape that pressure was fantastic. He had three scrambles and a, and a quarterback sneak on third down, converted all third downs, and one of them was like third and long. So uh, I, those are – it's just his knowledge of the game. When people compare him to Tom Brady, it's that type of thing. He just knows how to win a play. Uh, and his, his uh, football IQ is completely off the charts. And these are the things you're not going to see uh, on perhaps <clears> – <throat> You know, those those uh, little films that people put on, like Twitter and what have you. You know, you fall in love with the Mahomes, the Herbert, and the Allen throws. Like, look at this throw. Look at this throw. It's fantastic. I'm not taking anything away from them. But nothing's going to be impressive with a, a you know 14-yard scramble on 13, a third and 14, right? Yep. So no, nothing's going to be impressive. That's not something to, like, wow you. But when you really think about it, that's more uh, of the, the football IQ and the awareness that he really displayed this past week, uh, this weekend. And uh, – Good for him. I've been saying this, you know, all year, you know, when talking about the Browns, the Bengals and all other teams, I'm loving this new breed of uh, teams coming up out with the old in with the new. I'm all for it. Uh, you know, even though that like if you're a Burrow supporter, that must mean you're you know, you hate, you know, Justin Herbert, which I think is idiotic. It could be enough pie for both. So uh, game recognized game. You know, and I'm recognizing that Burrow was fantastic this past weekend, and Mahomes. I'm not sure if it's just if it's performance or just arrogance. Mainly, always want to go for the big plays and what have you, but he no other word than say that he completely shit the bed in the second half, and uh, I think they took that lead for granted. Yeah, um, I'll I'll try not to be redundant in any regard. I do agree with you that like, hey, there's plenty of love to go around between Burrow and Herbert because they're both superstars. Yeah, but you know how that is with draft classes, right? Like, you have the Eli Big Ben and Rivers debate. Like, you can't, you know, you have you'll have the debate, but what is not debatable is that both of these guys are superstars, and 
so were Philip, so were Eli, and so were Big Ben, right? Well, and they two were of the all three the were, 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 uh, were superstars. <laughs> right. so. Hey, listen, he's got it. He's got the records where they count, um, where they count the most. Um, so, what's crazy to me in this game is uh, agreed, right? Like when it was twenty-one-three, it's like, all right, can we just get to the night game at this point? Exactly. And then something very critical happened. The Bengals found a way on a, a screenplay to get into the end zone to take it down to two possessions, right? So now it's 21-10. And Lou, this goes back to I'm gonna I'm gonna forget which Chargers game, but the one oh against the Chiefs the second time, right? Where they went for all of those fourth downs, right? Like and the one that perplexed me the most was the one right before the half where they refused to like just kick a field goal and take points. I live by a few rules in football. One of the cardinal rules is, is you have an opportunity to score points before halftime. You better score those points. But mm-hmm. I don't care if it's, it, it's, if it's three, it's three. Um, and good news, like you just said, you're getting the ball back, right? So like you, you now are, it's 24-10 instead of 21-10. And you're getting the ball back. And the reason why you take the points there, it's all about this real thing in the NFL that people discredit, and it's called momentum. You know what I mean? Like, you just let Cincinnati get on the board. Then you go down, you're moving the ball well, and, yes, Eli Apple makes the play. But they just scored and then just stopped you defensively in a big spot. Where does momentum swing? It swings to Cincinnati. And to me, that carried over in the second half. Dude, they had 83 – the Kansas City Chiefs had 83 total yards of offense in the second half. Yeah, but it was crazy. I, I, I would have never thought of that because I understand you talk about the moment, the momentum swung to Cincinnati, but it was it was the end of the half, and, and uh, the Chiefs were getting the ball back in the second half. So the Chiefs could have easily been the master of their domain or, the, or their own, like, uh, uh, you know, control of their own destiny if they at least just – did not go three and out and, or if they put some points on the board and what have you to kind of deaden that momentum. Well, they, so this is where the pendulum swung because yeah. now Cincinnati knows, Hey, we held them out of the end zone in a big time scenario. We can do that again. Cause prior to that, they were not holding them out of the end zone. Chiefs were moving the ball oh my God, relatively yeah. at will. Like we said, this game was all but over and it, it just swung that way. I mean, like Mahomes just looked rattled, and I like Andy Reid and he wasn't even his... getting pressured. How no, you being rattled? I mean they got at him. I mean they got at him, but like with like you said with three, right? So like it was, dude. Do you hear what I said? On average, in his second half, he had four seconds to throw. Yep, that's a long time. You're supposed to get that ball out of your hands in two Maybe seconds. Maybe that's too much time. And I think you mentioned chinks in the armor or some kinks in the armor for Mahomes. I think that kink has been there all year and it's more about sometimes like some players just press to do too much. Oh, screw that. Let me tell you something, man. If you're, if you're finding people that are dropping, you know, that many, you know, in, in coverage and those two high safeties, that's on Andy Reed. Now I feel Agreed. like the point, Andy Reed, remember when he's with the Eagles, he's one of the best screen designers out there. They seldom throw screens, the Kansas City Chiefs, I feel like. And they have the players to uh, succeed and thrive in screen scenarios. That's how you start getting those. You start running the ball, and that's how you start getting those 
defenders that are dropping to start moving up now. So I'm not sure if it's on Mahomes, if it's on Reed. It sounds like a combo, but you know, those it just it's just that's why I also kind of think it's arrogance. Yeah. Um, well, listen, there's plenty of blame to go around on both of these losing teams from the games this weekend. So um, I'm sure it's a it's a combination of Reed Mahomes. I also think it's a combination of just like how different Kansas City's offense had to be this year when they went on this run. Like it wasn't about chunk plays anymore. You know, like we're used to watching Kansas City be on the field for four plays, eat up 80 yards, two minutes o'clock, seven points. Right. Like that's what we've seen for the last few years. Now we're seeing 13 plays, 15 plays, eight minutes a clock, and seven points. So I just feel like some, like the offenses look different and they, they did force Mahomes into bad spots, bad throws. Um, and it just, you know, kudos to the, the Bengals. This is what it comes down to in these big games. They adjusted. Let me ask you a question real quick. I need you to do me a favor. Yep. Close your eyes now. They're you closed. are a, you are a Kansas City Chiefs fan, right? Yep. All right. This year, Mahomes' salary cap hit was like five to seven million dollars. Next year, it goes up to thirty-six million dollars. Now your team has to make some drastic changes and cut some serious fat. Yep. On scale of one to ten, one being I'm cool as a cucumber, ten being I am scared shitless. How, how? Where is your concern? Uh, concern right now? If you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, seven, set that high. Yeah. Um. And it and it's, I would say that low because salary cap's not real, and the, <laughs> I think the Kansas City Chiefs uh, have some some people there to to make those adjustments. But the clock's up, right? We we know the statistics when quarterbacks count for X against your cap. You can't point to Super Bowl winners anymore. That's why the the name of the game right now in the NFL is win while you have somebody on a rookie wage scale. It says what it is. You can pay more players, but there will be chinks in this armor. Uh, I think it's all but certain. Mathau's gone. Tyron Matthews gone. Uh, right? he's got, I mean, he's been saying stuff on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, you can tell. Just It was going to happen anyway. It sounds like an obituary to his Kansas yeah. City career. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and he's still good, bro. Yeah, he, he can still play at a high level. Um, very surprised with the last couple of years from him, right? Like, cause it, it almost felt like he was phasing out a little bit, and he definitely resurrected his career. Yeah. Um, can still play, um, can still be an in the box safety for somebody in, in this league for sure. Um, but now you got to make serious decisions across your defensive line. Uh, you have a high priced offensive line. <laughs> and, and, and you know, those are two plays, like especially on the defensive side, you can't keep on losing talent on defensive side their defense is not that good no so you're exactly gonna take, you're, so you're going to take a mediocre i'm not saying they're a bad defense you're going to take a mediocre defense and now take away some you know big contributors that's what i'm saying how, how concerned are you and now you're talking about the offensive line too so what are they going to do with orlando brown are they going to tag him that 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 tagging is like the worst thing you can do when you for a left tackle that's... well not only that when you also against the sal- up against the salary cap too yeah so... because that's guaranteed money so... exactly so you know what are you going to do there they're going to have a lot of restructures this year. Don't be surprised if Patty restructures his deal and takes more of a signing bonus. But they it's have the work. Guy. Yeah, but you they know? have the work. They have their work cut out for him. Don't forget, they, don't forget they got Tyreek Hill too on a 
on a really valued deal because he messed up uh, one, uh, that last time. So they decided now's the time to pounce because his value, even though he's great production on the field, uh, that's that hit, what he did off the field really uh, took away, really, you know, impacted his ability to get the really big payday. Like, Hey, you're great on the field, but you're a risk off the field. So we're not going to give you that like huge number. So he, how much can you get from him? The you reality know? is, is there, their superstars that they have paid Kelsey Hill, um, Frank Clark, uh, Chris oh, yeah. Jones, yeah. all of their contracts balloon now, right? Like you're, you're two, three years into those mega deals you sign them to, and those always get heftier. So I think there's avenues for them to get creative. I just don't know how much space the creativity uh, frees up. And that's why for these teams, there are windows. Here's the good news, Kansas City Chiefs fan. You have a really, really good quarterback that's always going to give you a chance to win. Oh, yeah. Games. Go look at the Green Bay Packers, right? Yeah. Like they stroll through the division every single year because of their quarterback. Um, and you can't – I'm not believing if you want to say, oh, they got a new head coach or they got <laughs> Devontae Adams. It doesn't matter who's out there. It, as long as number 12 is out there, like they're fine. As long as number 15 trots out for you guys, you'll be competitive. But that's a soaring division right now, so you're going to have to find ways to uh, to be creative and, and keep some talent there. Um, and, it, and it's crazy because, like, here we are. We crowned them like the next dynasty. Oh, you know, after the Patriots, you know, you know they're going to be the next dynasty. But look at the last three years. Ready? One Super Bowl, lost Super Bowl, lost conference championship. Yep. That, I mean, for me in the biz, we call that a downward projection. There, yeah. It's a slide. So, yeah. But as a if I was a fan of a mediocre fan of a mediocre oh, yeah. team, I'd be like, eh, I got to watch a lot of football over the last three years too, right? Like meaningful um, football, but that's why there's windows, man. And, and a lot of that window is predicated. So I don't want to make this all about the chiefs. I do want to give the Bengals some hype, some love. You're right. You're right. Their, their coaching staff adjusted. So Lou, I laugh because I mentioned how this kind of dispels your whole coin toss narrative. This kind of also dispels your year too early. Now. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, it, hold on. If they don't win it, they're still a year yeah, too. Yeah, there's no such thing. They're in the game. They're in the game. Um, it's really hard to get to this game. Listen, you know? listen, listen. I'm going to tell you something right now. Uh, over the last two weeks, uh, I don't know shit about shit when it comes to football. I've been 0 six in these in these uh, playoff games. Uh, yeah, I was. Well, I was one and one, and I didn't even. I didn't even believe one of them was going to happen. I just did it to protect my heart, and because that had been working for me, I really had full confidence the Forty Nineers were going to win that football game. Um, that being said, uh, Joe Burrow, I mean, he's as cool as they come, man. Like you look at the week before, just getting rocked nine times, and still found a way to to lead his team out. Um, That's against... what's so great about him because you're saying he get he, he's gotten pressured 60 times in three yeah. playoff games. That's 20 times a game, bro. It's a good thing he's only like 22 years old, right? Because his body wouldn't hold up. No, he's he's old. Started... He's like 25. Already? Yeah, he was no. He's he's an older uh, guy that came out. All right. Well, either or maybe way, maybe he's like 24. 24. He's he's got some youth about him. Um, let's leave it at that. But. Kansas City Chiefs, man, I, I give you your dues from four and whatever you were, four and eleven or whatever it was last year, or uh, four and twelve or five and eleven, whatever it was, uh, to winning your division and playing in the Super Bowl. Like 
all credit, not giving up, down 21-3. to three. A lot of lesser teams, younger teams like the Bengals would have mailed that in and mm-hmm. been like, hey, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And I think that has a lot to do with the the moxie of these young players. I, I hate mm-hmm. putting it on the coach because I'm just not a big Zach Taylor. No, no, no. I, with. Yeah, I agree. I think they win despite Taylor. As yeah, um, so I – I am rooting for the Bengals in the Super Bowl, even oh, yeah. though it's it's easier for me to wish that my if my team had to lose, they lost to the the, the Super Bowl champions. But I mean, I shit. want the Rams to have a Super Bowl hangover because I believe that is real as well. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Wesson. Uh, coming from a guy who's probably lo- uh, who follows a team that's lost to the last twelve Super Bowl champions, it does not make you feel any better. <laughs> I know you're right. In the short term, it does leading into the game. Oh, you, think I'm gonna, think about. you think I'm going to feel better if the Bengals win? I'm like, oh, the Chargers beat the Bengals 41-17 in Cincy. I don't give a shit about that. I saw this meme today that said the Green Bay Packers and the 49ers are the only two teams in the NFL that beat both of these teams playing in the Super Bowl right now. And then somebody was like, so the 49ers won it all because we beat the Packers too, right? <laughs> you know, like – that's. That's yeah, that's that's some people's logic there. All right. So shout out to the Cincinnati Bengals, Hooday Nation, like good for you guys. That's awesome. Um, I'm actually like stoked for their fans who the last time they saw even a Super Bowl game, Boomer Sison was their quarterback. Um, so pr- pretty, pretty awesome stuff. A lot to be excited about if you're in the Cincinnati region of Ohio, less to be excited if you're in the Cleveland section of Ohio because you're watching your your home your home state potentially celebrate victory that you're not able to celebrate and haven't yeah. for quite some time. All right. You sure you want to do this? You sure you want to do this? What's coming up next? I don't. Um, so Sunday night game, the San Francisco 49ers versus the Los Angeles Rams. I'm going to start as a fan. I'm, I'm, can I start like my out, my hey, take this is as your, a fan? This is your show. I'm just here to watch, man. All right. I'm, I'm depressed, dude. Of course. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to get to the championship game of your conference. Um, it doesn't happen all that often. And a very winnable game that you were up 10 points to start the fourth quarter um, and, st- you know, losing 20 to, to 17, like, it's frustrating. And what I think what makes it even more frustrating is just the, the roller coaster of the year, like three and five, two and four at one point, three and five at another point. Everybody trashing the coach, trashing the quarterback, myself included. You know, um, let's move on. Let's get Trey in. Let's begin this thing to end the year that the way they did, and then to go on the road and beat the Dallas Cowboys in the um, Wild Card Weekend, and then go on the road to Green Bay in the snow. And beat Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau when nobody gave you an opportunity to then play a team that you beat three weeks prior in a must-win, win-in-in game in their home stadium, and you had manhandled them earlier in the season. It just felt like everything. And it, and it was really, a, it was really a home game for you guys. Really. Yeah, yeah. It just felt like everything lined up. You know, like it just kind of felt. And like, then hold on, and then the Bengals. You know, you know, earlier the Bengals 
then you know you saw the Bengals go to the Super Bowl. So now you start thinking like, oh, this is history rewriting ourselves. It's like back in what it was eighty nine or something like that. 88? 88. So oh, like we're gonna. But you just already seeing the narratives being on NFL Network. Good morning, football. Shout out yep. to Peter Strago. Please come on our show. Uh, and like you know ESPN and all that stuff. So you starting to see all that narrative, like what's going to possibly like the foreshadowing that this is too good to be true. Bengals, Niners, eighty eight, all over again. Yeah, it was. I so I'm, I'm deflated, right? Um, it is, and it is what it is, right? Like at the end of the day, you know, if you were to survey me week six, week seven of the season, I I tell you this this day was so far from reality that I would never even been considering that. But I did kind of say throughout the year, like they're still in playoff contention, they're still in playoff contention. Like even with that losing record because of the slate of the NFC. Was that always opportunity? There was always that opportunity. We 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 need someone to uh, go back and listen to the tapes because there was times when you wanted to throw Trey Lance in there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So long. I I'm I'm the first to admit that, right? Um, that I wanted to because. All right, and what makes it even sadder as a fan because to me this it it inevitably is the end of Jimmy G, right? And I remember what Jimmy G, what it felt like when sad. It makes me a little sad, but sad for this reason. That the fan in me is sad, right? Because the fan in me roots for whoever is on my team. I remember what happened in 2017 when he came over and we started like literally just rattling off five straight wins when he started. And the 2019 season, like here's the reality, dude. In the two full seasons he's been healthy on this team, we've gone to the Super Bowl and played in the NFC Championship. So is that because of him? No. no. Is he part of that? Yes. Mm. Like he's part of that, dude. Like he is part of a win was and the he is... was the training staff Wes. i'm sorry I, I think i think your team was always formulated around great defense and good and solid running game and uh, it, this is just from an outsider standpoint and i get it you want to be all sentimental and what have you but i mean you're hopefully you're not gonna have those feeling those oh shit jimmy g throws anymore because lance is behind you know behind center and what have you i feel like you i don't know I don't know. I, I'm just I'm not a Jimmy G fan. Um I'm a fan of the person. I'm a fan of the oh, way yeah. he, a fan of the way he carried himself through like an impossible situation all year and like still battled. I mean, bro, this fan base was trashing it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But his teammates love him. And and that's that's hard to see because it felt like there was something special in the locker room, felt like there was good stuff going on. And you know, year over year those things change right so that's like the the fan side of me of just loving my team here's the reality side of what i saw here we go i saw, I saw a team that shouldn't have won this football game anyway i saw i this is the the downside of playing the same team three times in a year making adjustments just becomes harder like everybody is like you're already countering counter punching the counter punch because like you know the familiarity of these teams with one another. They the Rams beat us at our game, dude. They controlled the clock. They tried aggressively to run the football. They were very, very physical on the offensive and, and defensive lines. They did what we intended to come in there and do to them. They didn't do it well. They just did it better than they had been doing. I mean, they still ran for like 70 yards as a team. It's not like they ran for like 200 yards on us and did all that, but we only ran the ball 50 yards, right? And that's not a recipe for for us winning. We didn't really rattle Stafford all that much. 
Um, I know people like point to that whole Jaquaski uh, Tart dropped interception. Like, yeah, yeah you know a- what? Guess what? Jalen Ramsey had one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and listen, um, does it help if he makes that play? Sure. Do you want your safety to make that play? Absolutely. Um, would that have won the game for us? Probably not because we weren't moving the football in the second half well anyway. Like, just go back and look at the stats. And, you know, I, I could be I could be really, really critical, but I know a lot of people want to trash Shanahan right now. I'm like, why'd you get away from this? Why'd you punt then? Why'd you punt on that fourth down? Why'd you do all that? And what I love about Shanahan is like, I do the same thing all over again. And he's right. Like, if you kind of go back and watch the tape, dude, which I did and reluctantly, it's about execution, man. It's about execution. And the lack of execution in this came from two areas. It came from the quarterback and it came from the offensive line. Shanahan had the right plays call. They just didn't block up. They didn't, they didn't go for what they normally go for. If I was to fault Shanahan for anything, I'm still perplexed why the best offensive weapon in the NFL this season, number 19, Debo Samuel, did not touch the ball with under 12 minutes left in the game once. That I'm perplexed with. But what I can tell you is if I go back and watch the tape, Debo and Ayuk both should have had 10-plus catches in this game, both of them, just running open in the middle of the field where we do our best work. And it's overlooked because on one of them, Jimmy hits Kittle for a check down that he gets a first down. Another one, Jimmy hits Elijah Mitchell that's on a check down that's turned into a first down. So you you quickly forget those things like, oh, they converted a first down. They made plays out of it. But like the reality was is there was home runs sitting right behind them. You know, um, the first drive of the game where he just badly missed Kittle in the middle of the field. These are the things that I know we can get better at. And this is where you hope Trey is inevitably better and makes the offense different. I believe that this offense was pared down to suit Jimmy G. You mentioned those Jimmy G. Oh shit throws. The only time I feel that way is when that man holds the ball for more than three seconds. Cause I'm like, now he's got to make a decision and I'm not going to like what the decision is when that ball comes out in like two seconds, like, hits that third drop step, that fifth drop step, whatever it is, and that ball's out, I'm very confident where that ball's going because, to me, it says his number one read is open. Those aren't when you see the mistakes, you know? It's like when he has to get through a progression or has the opportunity to get through a progression, that's when mistakes um, are made. So I think the future's bright for for the 49ers. They have They have – all their studs lined up. They're moving into that rookie con, you know, moving on to the rookie quarterback who's under that, um, and will be a second year quarterback, but still under that rookie wage scale. You free up cap room with Jimmy moving on. Who knows? You might even get, you know, some usable collateral in exchange yeah. from him for some from other teams to recoup some of what you gave up to get Trey. But like, you know, you got people coming back from injury that missed the year. Um, you know, like Elijah Mitchell looks really, really good. You know, Debo's back. You got to feel like you're going to get more from Ayuk, uh, with a different quarterback. Um, you know, you still got Kittle, still got Warner. You're going to, you're going to lock up Bosa for a long time. We have some, some really impressive young linebackers linebackers. that, you know, can, can complement. So I feel like the, the future is bright, but if I can knock one, if I was to, this game came down to execution and the team that executed better won. The Rams executed better. So like 
Shout out to the Rams. Shout out to to Sean McVay. He had his team um, ready enough to play and ready enough to win this game. Look, they didn't do anything special either. Cooper Cup does what he does, you know. But you could still beat him when he when he does that. I mean, dude, if if you if you surveyed me after the game and I said and you told me that the Rams only scored twenty points, I'd say we won that game. I'd say we won that game. Uh, yeah, yeah, listen, it is what it is. Yeah, you were talking about execution, and you said the Rams you know, executed better. I'm going to say something even for, furthermore. I think even though the Rams executed be- better, I feel like both teams played extremely sloppy. Yeah, it was uh, not a great, a well-played football game by any means, dude. Ba- by any know, means. It was I'm just gonna, close gonna, and competitive. I'm going to double, do- double down on it. I think both coaches made a lot of errors and coached pretty damn badly, both McVay and Shanahan. And we, you know, this is where we're always going to differ, Weston. So I'm sorry, this is my personal belief. But the uh, the the 49ers punted three times from the Rams side of the field and never went for it on fourth down. And Shanahan did a fantastic job of explaining the whole thought process of why he did not go for fourth and two. And he would have went for it if it was fourth and a yard or, or what have you. Uh, but this comes to one of two things for me. Does, is Shanahan just that timid, or does Shanahan really not trust Jimmy G? Now, if Shanahan didn't trust Jimmy G for any fourth down conversions, why not throw something in there that the Rams haven't seen all season? Why not throw Trey Lance on a fourth down and two? Lance could throw you know, a two-yard pass, so he can run for it too. Now he's a completely different skill set than Jimmy G. I was very perplexed about it. This is, you know, when, when you're a game away from the Super Bowl, you pull out all the stops, and I just felt like Shanahan did, failed to do so. Shanahan is probably one of the best play designers, best play callers there is. Now, there's just more than just being a play designer and play caller, and I felt like it was not his best game when it comes from a coaching standpoint. All that being said, I really thought the Niners were going to win all game because, like you said, they held the Rams to 20 points. The game always felt low scoring, slow, methodical. That's not the Rams style whatsoever. This had a ridiculously eerie feel of like the Packers game. Like, oh, Packers aren't scoring. This is a problem. The longer the you know uh, a team that plays the 49ers d- don't score, the worse chances are they are going to have to win because you're just keeping the 49ers in it and that defense is just going to keep on getting better and better as the game goes on so low scoring games will always benefit the 49ers so i started getting that same vibe from the week prior when they played the green bay packers uh but you're talking about you know you're gonna feel you know you're a little sentimental as a fan about jimmy g moving on but i'm gonna make you feel a little better you know jimmy g in the fourth quarter in his sixth postseason starts 48.6 percent completion percentage Zero touchdowns, three interceptions, 178 passing yards, and a 28 uh, QB rating. Now, 178 passing yards and six postseason starts in the fourth quarter. Mahomes, two weeks ago, had 177 passing yards after a two-minute warning. Just think about that. Trey Lance is going to bring something to your team that you guys don't have. It's going to bring another dimension to that offense. It's also going to provide you some salary cap relief to you know extend your own players because I don't think you guys are going to be big free agent players, but you don't need to be because you have a bunch of great players already on your team. So if you could just add through the draft and get some key uh, free you know debt uh, pieces from free agency, you guys will be you'd be almost I'm 
confident that you possibly be back here next year too, uh, especially the state of the NFC. So, yeah. Um, I, 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 last comment, <laughs> we can move on from this cause I'm, I, I'm exhausted from it, man. Um, it's funny because like everybody I know just kind of like, dude, over the last few weeks, people that I haven't talked to in years are just reaching out to me and like texting me like good and bad and all that. And it's funny because I, I feel like I'm just widely known as this avid, fanatical 49ers fan, which is cool. I will never text you during a 49er game. Well, because you know better. You know how fanatical I actually am. It's in your – you know, I'm not going to respond to you anyway. So it, it's, I usually it's wait until like Tuesday like mid-afternoon. You do. You do. Even, <laughs> uh, even after this, you're like, I just want to give you some time. It's how usually you feel. with like a funny emoji, like a bear yeah. waving or something. Like trying yeah. to like – Hi. <laughs> Hi, friend. Hi. Um, but it's, it's, it's crazy because I'm like, why do – I'm almost 40. Like, why do I need to be known as this like crazy ravage fan? Like I'd rather be known as like a crazy good husband and father and like, you, but yeah. You, hey, you'll get there Weston. With yeah, I guess, you know, but. Cause you were, um, you want to why Weston? You were a fan before you were a father and a husband. <laughs> I was a fan long before I was any of those things, yeah. but so I, this is about Shanahan, something that I want to say. And this is – I'm going to always tie it back to execution. Do I think Shanahan was timid? Yeah, a little bit. And I think history has that way of doing those things to you and also playing into the way the team's built, right? Like you said, eerily close to Green Bay. You keep up close in games. Like we can still play to our strengths. We can still run the football. We can still play defense. Like those are things that we do and, and we do well. So why take the high risk if you don't have to, right? Like it's not like the Rams offense was lighting us up. And I know you rattle off those stats about Jimmy, right? Like 160 yards passing in four championship games or whatever, four postseason games or whatever it is. Um, but our team's not built that way, right? Like we're not built to be Patrick Mahomes, who is going to throw for 177 after two minute warning. I get the point you're trying to make. Yeah, but when but you I'm get this the, when you get home, when you get to this this part of the season, you're gonna you got to be able to do that. Not, yeah, yes, teams yes. are going to take away your strength, right? Like so, you have to be able to do that, and and I think those things will change. But I think there's a misconception of Kyle Shanahan out there because people will point to the collapse of the Falcons in the Super Bowl where he was the offensive coordinator the collapse in the fourth quarter of the 49ers in the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs and they'll point to this game as well in the NFC Championship obviously none of this has matters in the NFC Championship in 2019 because we lambasted the Packers and that game was over midway through the second quarter Um, and that was all done running the football by the way like Mostert was bananas that game but People will say in the fourth quarter of those games, Kyle Shanahan has been offenses have been outscored 53 to nothing. Yeah. And that's on paper is one of those stats that is alarming. Does he like, but if you go back and watch, it, it comes down to execution in those games, right? Like go back to, I'll, I'll use the 49ers against the chiefs as a prime example. Kyle was still aggressively calling that game. You just had Chris Jones make two tremendous plays on defense where he batted down the ball where like on one of them, dude, George Kittle literally might not have showed up for the 2020, 2021 season. Cause he's still running untouched. You know what I mean? Like, 
So it, it's Kyle's doing those things. I go back to this fourth quarter. Like, yes, maybe he wasn't going for it um, on those fourth down opportunities, but even the, well, well, the Western, plays that are called, these players are, it's execution. He's calling course. the play. It's execution. Weston, all right, all right. So, Groot, yes or no? Is Kyle Shannon perhaps the uh, top, I think he's the best offensive mind coach in the NFL, but is he top five offensive minded coach? Yes or no? Hundred percent. Yes. Are the 49ers one of the best rushing teams in the NFL? Top five, hundred percent. Okay. All right. So we're not disagreeing there, right? So nope. it's fourth and two. You have one of the best offensive minded coaches and one of the best rushing, uh, you know, rushing teams in the NFL. Why could he not? He ran for it on second, ran for it on third, I know that he, that probably got his ass a little puckered. I get it, but this is the time you pull out your best play, your most creative play. I'm sorry, you know. You, I'm sorry. You can't tell me. I, 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 I always said I'm not a believer in the, this Rams team, <clears throat> and I felt like there's no way they're going to stop him three times in a row. You know, with, within two yard, uh, within you know two yards, yeah. and because that's how much respect I have for Shanahan. It's just that, like, I think you know, maybe the ghost of, you know, Shanahan pass caught up with him. And he's like, you know, let's just play field position. That's what he said. He's like, you know, we were moving the ball. We had such great, you know, momentum. And then boom, those two plays, Weddle stopped one of the plays and what have you. Uh, and I think that kind of shook him. And he's like, you know what? I just want to be safe. And in the, in the NFC championship game, Wesson, you, you're not playing not to lose. You're not playing to be safe. He had to have gone for it there and then rely on your defense. Like you've done all. Yeah, especially especially when you're playing with house money. I get it. Um, I get it. And, you know, I just I'm trying to dispel the notion that Kyle's not capable of winning the big game. Like Kyle's not losing. He's not losing these games because of himself. Like he might not be doing himself some favors along the way. And you're like you said, your ghost of Christmas past might be catching up with you. My hope is going into this new era. To quote Jay-Z, um, even in defeat, there's a valuable lesson learned, so it evens it up for me. I've, I, I'm i I'm hoping that's true right now. Like, may, maybe I just – I agree. I, I think Kyle is a mad scientist. He is a mad genius. And I'd love to see that parlayed into um, a little bit more – into more risk-taking, to be a little bit more aggressive. Because in the middle of the game, man, second and sevens, third and fives, I mean, he's designing mad scientist shit, right? Like, so you got to find it um, in those. So why, so why does he act like a turtle and go in his show? I don't know. Most, you know, I'm sorry. Listen, I get I'm, a, I'm on the total other side of the spectrum. I'm like your I don't have the player. answer either, and I'm right there front and center. I, I am not right either. I'm, I'm like your Madden player. Listen, you got to go for it almost every fourth down. Uh, maybe that's just more of my identity, you know, my identity to my team. That's kind of like that now. Yeah. But he's on the complete other side of the spectrum too. And he has to, we both, I think would have to go towards more of the middle and, you know, meet halfway there. Yep. So when all said and done, Rams won the game. Uh, and candidly, deservingly. So I agree with you. It was an, it was an ugly game. It wasn't well played. Um, especially when there was no points scored in the first quarter, I was like, this plays right into what we're doing, right? Exactly. Because they That's weren't exactly. jumping into some early lead like they did last time and got up on a 17-0 and we had a claw back. Because if that happened in this game, we weren't making it back, right? Like, so it was – they had a claw back on us. Like I said, we were up 17-7 to start the fourth quarter. 
Um, it's funny though. It's funny though. Uh, you said you're hundred percent right that like the Rams did exactly what you guys have done to them. And they, I felt like Mouve is like, I can't outsmart Shanahan shit. I'm just going to lean over his shoulder and copy off of him. Cause they were, uh, beat them at their own game. Try to be more physical running the ball. And what really differentiated their, their offensive game plan from the ones prior against the 49ers. I feel like a lot of short, uh, quicker, shorter passes because they knew their offensive line couldn't hold up against that pass rush the front four. So I felt like there's a lot of, uh, you know, quicker routes, uh, uh, bubble screens, things of that nature, just to, you know, just to keep the defense, you know, the offense, you know, and, and not uh, in plus territory, not negative, like second and 12 type stuff. Yeah. So I thought they, he just literally copied off of Shanahan's uh, game plan there. Yeah. How special is Debo Samuel, by the way, though, dude? He, he's the, uh, he, he's, fa- he is fantastic. And I think the Niners are playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers because they're going to franchise tag him if they can't afford him as a, uh, and they're going to franchise tag him as a running back. Yeah. <laughs> He's a wide back, as he calls himself, self-defined. Uh, self- if I'm his agent, I'm saying, you're an idiot. You're a yeah, wide yeah. receiver. You are, a, you are WR, bro. WR1. Shit, you threw that touch? You threw that pass? You're a quarterback. <laughs> franchise a quarterback. You got franchise him as a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Um, they'll come up something there's no way they let that man walk and, Listen, it, and he doesn't want to play anywhere else because who's going to use him to his skill set better than kyle shanahan yeah. nobody you know I kyle agree. shanahan could put this guy into the hall of fame if he but wants to you know you, you did quote jay-z i will uh quote uh wu-tang clan cash rules everything around me cream get the money dollar dollar bills y'all and he'll get the money they will yeah. Back up the Brinks truck for him. Watch out. Him and Bosa will be paid this offseason at some yeah. point. Probably not until summer, to be fully candid with you, because they don't have to. They're still both under rookie contracts. They're not even in the fifth-year option of Bosa's contract yet, and they're yeah, not in the fourth the year. Yeah, when you're not in the fifth-year like you want to do it before the got to do it before right? that bubbles, no, no yeah. doubt. Because then you can play with – you're playing with house money for a little while too, right? Like you can yeah. – push out the the bubble of it you can pay them heavy up front and signing bonuses and you can push out the bulk of it two three four years down so it doesn't close your window and you still got money to play especially as the salary cap's going to rise we all know it's going to come back so yeah. you put you play that game of cat and mouse all right our last fuck, segment fuck the rams all right here we go annual <laughs> superlatives to, to close us out today i can't believe we've gone this long already um Lou, I do have in front of me our midseason awards. I have mine. I didn't. I didn't look at yours. I have mine too. I don't have yours. Um, okay. So at least we can cross reference. Yeah. So, do you want to? Let's just do it like this. We'll, we'll give our annual award. Keep in mind, this is all based on regular season because that's how they give the awards. Exactly. Um, you can't just be looking at um, playoffs. I, you might cheat a little bit. I'm sure they all do. Too. Like, eh, it's hard to overlook that and make some justification for it. Yeah. But the first award that I have up is about the rookies. So yeah, let's do the rookies. So we'll start with our offensive and then defensive rookies of the year. <clears throat> Lou, I've been doing a lot of talking this evening, so I will let you do the honors and tell me who you got as your offensive rookie of the year. All right, so this is who we think is going to be, or is who we we would give it to. I'm I have based this on who I would give it to, and I'm more than confident in ninety percent of these scenarios that's yeah. who it's going to be. Yeah, anyway. there's, yeah, there's a couple. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So for offensive rookie of the year, uh, 
there's Jamar Chase and then there's everyone else. Uh, Jamar Chase had a fantastic year, 81 receptions, over 1,400 yards, 13 touchdowns. He ranked fourth in the NFL in receiving yards, despite ranking 21st in receptions. So what that basically translates, Weston, is that he's a big play machine. 18 right? yards a catch. Yeah, for real. He's ranked fifth in the NFL in 20-plus yard receptions with 22. He's second in the NFL with 40-yard-plus uh, receptions with eight. Uh, he ranks third in touchdowns. His PFF grades 83.1, uh, and he was one of the sole reasons why, uh, you know, him and Burrow that connection that they had throughout the year that uh, the Bengals were able to win their division. I'm not talking about getting to the Super Bowl because we're not focused on the playoffs. Uh, it's Jamar Chase, and I had it in the beginning or the middle of the year that it would be Jamar Chase as well. So, looks like in in the middle of the year I was onto something right there. Yeah, for anybody who wants to fact check us, you can go to YouTube and you can ch- uh, we're talking football and you can check out the week nine episode. That is the week that we gave our mid-year superlatives. We were actually joined by Mr. Jason Aponte uh, for for that show. And Lou did have Jamar Chase at the halfway point. I had Jamar Chase at the halfway point. And I have Jamar Chase at the end of the year. Uh, so common theme. Lou, you rattled off all the stats. I won't be redundant at all. The only thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to take my victory lap when I told you when this when we were doing our pre-draft coverage and saying yes. that this is my guy. You this said he was is, the best player in the in the draft. I said he was the best player in the draft, and I would say he did very little to discredit me yeah. throughout the – he had a little – he played a little disappearing act for a couple yeah. weeks, but he yeah. came back with a vengeance, and he's can continuing to do such. He made um, you look bur- smart, and, and that's hard to do, Wesson. I no, no <laughs> shit, man, no shit. Because God knows I do plenty to make myself look dumb. Yeah, um, you're all looks. You're yeah, you're beauty. <laughs> I'm just I just got these beautiful blue eyes. That's all yeah. I got going for me, bro. And if you catch me from the side, my profile, forget about it. It's a wrap, <laughs> uh, not in a good way. Um, but that uh. Look out, NFL, because uh, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase is going to be a pretty dangerous tandem for for quite some time. Yep. So, who you got for defensive? Uh, well, week nine, uh, when joined upon, uh, joined with Jason Aponte, uh, I said Micah Parsons, and we are currently uh, two weeks from the Super Bowl. I am still saying Micah Parsons. Uh, I will rattle off some stats too: eighty-four tackles, twenty tackles for a loss. Let me repeat that: twenty tackles for a loss. Keep that in mind, listeners, what I'm about to explain. Uh, He had 13 sacks, 30 QB hits, 30 QB hits, 45 pressures, three forced fumbles, all while lining up in multiple positions. Three passes defensed. Yep. Okay, so I talked about – I repeated myself a couple of times there, not because I'm Louie two times here, because the numbers were staggering. 20 tackles for a loss and 30 QB hits. Miles Garrett has never had – 20 tackles for a loss has only had one season of 30 QB hits. That's Miles Garrett. Chandler Jones and Von Miller only has had one season with 20 tackles for a loss and 30 QB hits. This guy basically had a fantastic year. Arguably, you could probably put him in the running for defensive player in the year, but you know me, I don't put, uh, I don't put you don't uh, subscribe to rookies in those competitions. Exactly. And his PFF grade, if you believe in those things, 89.8, almost elite status on that 90 nut mark. Yeah, he he was special all year. Um, you rattled off the good stats. I love the player comparisons, just to put it in perspective for some recognizable names that have 
been in consideration for these awards and defensive player of the year awards in, in the past. Um, I had Micah Parsons week nine. I got Micah Parsons right now. Um, these are two that haven't changed. And, you know, to me, what that shows is consistency of play throughout the yes. year, um, specifically for rookies. That's really hard to do, right? Um, you know, whether it's Jamar and, and teams adjust and, and cover you differently or that's Micah and run away from you or run at you to take you out of the play, um, being as young as they are, to still adapt and, and to play at a consistent level for, you know, 17, 17 weeks. Yeah. Uh, pretty impressive. So yeah, uh, I quick, think real quick, not we, only ours, they're the, the definitive winners of these awards. Like I, I have agree. no doubt in my mind. Real quick. Okay. We both believe Jamar Chase. Now, if you had to say who'd be the runner up, who would you say is a runner up? Cause I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, be a homer here. I think it should be Rashawn Slater would be the runner up. Uh, I don't think Mac Jones did anything really that fantastic this year, uh, in my opinion. I thought he played okay, but not in the level of Rashawn Slater. Yeah, um, I think, and this is not to just to be in agreement with you, but it would have to be Rashawn Slater. The unfortunate side of the things is like offensive linemen don't win these awards, but uh, very well saying, des- runner up, runner up. I'm talking about straight very well up. deserving of it. If I had to be like contentious a little bit and, and challenge you a little bit. I might say Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle had a pretty impressive uh, thinking about who his quarterback is. Um, he had a, a pretty impressive year and he he's got an it factor about him. He can line up all over the field. You can do a lot of like creative things with him, but that's me just being the devil's advocate and trying to find a different runner up to maybe disagree with you a little bit, but I would be very, very hard for me to argue. Rashawn Slater, if he, if if you equated his year and made offensive line statistics and there was a calculation to compute those to wide receiver or running back stats, I, I, he'd be right up in this conversation, but he plays offensive line. So it, it's unfortunate for him, but very fortunate for the L.A. Chargers because you got a gem. Yeah, I'm going to say – I'm going to call you out on that. You said devil's advocate. I think that's just a polite way of saying I'm being a dick. So, all right, so <laughs> on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, on, on to the next um, let's go with offensive and defensive players of the year. I'll um, let you go first. How about that? I've been, I stole the, I felt like I stole the rookie thunder here. Why don't you go for offensive player? Cause I have a feeling, uh, we're going to stay in the Bay area here. Almost didn't very hard to ignore what one particular player did. So week nine, I had Cooper cup. I mean, he literally was the triple crown in every single category in receptions, yards, and touchdowns halfway through the season. Uh, News alert, or, you know, spoiler alert, he ended the year as the triple crown winner as a wide receiver too. But I'm going to be a bit of a homer here, and I'm going to say Debo Samuel. Um, Production-wise, so just to put this in, are you, just answer me this, and I'll let you get into the stats, but are you going to say Cooper Cup uh, as yours? Yes. Okay. So <laughs> if you think about like uh, a side to side comparison, um, Cooper had what? 140. Let's, let's sound this out together. Right. We'll, we'll talk about this one together. Had 145 receptions. Debo had half of that and had almost half the targets that Cooper cup had. So in perspective, Debo was fifth in the league in receiving. 24th in catches we just talked about jamar chase what he did with the ball in his hands at 18 yards per catch who was better than him in this league 
Debo Samuel at 18.2 yards per catch made him number one with any receiver with more than like 15 total catches for the season. Um, He had six touchdowns, puts him as 25th as a wide receiver. But what he did differently this year was when you saw him truly become that offensive weapon. And we're talking about offensive player of the year. So 365 yards on the ground, eight rushing touchdowns as a wide receiver, eight rushing touchdowns and average 6.2 yards per carry. So for running backs with more than a certain number of carries, he not only led the league in yards per reception, led the league in yards per carry and plays wide receiver. Um, I think it's very hard for anybody who's watched the NFL this year to argue that he was the best offensive weapon in the NFL this season. He plays on my team, dude. He was injury riddled last year. I saw a glimpse of how special he was in his rookie year when we went to the Super Bowl. But I don't think anybody saw this coming from a production standpoint. So uh, what aired me on the side of my guy versus the guy that's probably more obvious and what you're going to say is I'm still salty about not playing in the the Super Bowl. So I'm taking my hometown pick and I'm going with Debo. What did, oh. Yeah, what did you know, uh, Wesson, uh, remind me, because like I said, I have a great memory, but it's extremely short. What did Jay-Z say about jealousy? That's a female trait. trait. <laughs> That's a female trait. All right. So uh, uh, week nine, I had Cooper Cup, and lo and behold, I still have Cooper Cup. Which is the right pick, dude. And I'm, I'm right going to tell you something. <clears throat> you were talking about this is only for regular season. This cha- The playoffs changed my uh, view on Debo Samuel. Let me tell you why. Prior to the playoffs, I would have had Cooper Cup, Jonathan Taylor, Debo. And I know in this playoffs, it's not supposed to change your opinion. But now it, was, it really was between Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel. You stated that uh, Debo Samuel had 14 touchdowns. Well, Cooper Cup had 16 touchdowns, two more touchdowns than him. And I know you're saying <clears throat> Debo Samuel, from a, you broke it down for more of like a, like a per play, or more, just basically saying that he's more explosive than Cooper Cup. And that's fine. That's you making your point. But when you have Cooper Cup being the triple crown winner, the most receptions, most receiving yards, and the most touchdowns from his position, I think right then and there, uh, you know, it's just you don't have to break it down per play or showing that he's the most explosive. He had the most catches, most yards, most touchdowns. Uh, I, th- I think for me, uh, it might not be as enjoyable to watch as Debo. Debo is way more enjoyable to watch. But from a, from a sheer standpoint, uh, and yeah, think about it. This is you know, Rob, you know, Bobby Trees got hurt, you know, you know, uh, probably week seven or what have you. So teams are trying, still trying to focus on him. Their running game wasn't good for, for I'm going to say for the majority of the year. It wasn't until towards the end Odell started picking up his game. So he was solely the only offensive weapon, and teams still couldn't stop Cooper Cup. But what makes Cooper Cup? So fantastic. He's not explosive like Devo. I get it. So he's not sexy like that. It's his intelligence. It's his methodical practice. It's his methodical ways of knowing where he has to be on the field, how to get open, his release, uh, all that. It's something that you know doesn't go as noticed as more as that that sixty yard touchdown run, uh, run by Devo. So I'm still saying Cooper Cup. Yeah. Listen. Um, 
I mean, I had him written down. That's how I knew all of his stats to, to end the yep. year. So um, it's the right pick. It's what it's going to be. And, and I don't, I don't tout Debo to take anything away from what Cooper Cup did. I mean, shit, if he didn't play on a division rival, I'd be a huge fan of Cooper <laughs> Cup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he does everything right mm-hmm. and everything well. Like, listen, I use Debo stats to fit my narrative. You know yeah. what I mean? That doesn't take away from what Cooper Cup does. And you know what he does really, really well that is always overlooked and not talked about? Run block. Man blocks his ass off. And he blocks Dude, he at, the, does. at the line of scrimmage. He had at some the line great, of He had like, some great blocks. I don't know who it was on against the Niners, but he had some fantastic. And they tried to do the same thing with Odell Beckham. And oh, Beckham got like blown up I, by Bosa. Uh, Bosa just destroyed Beckham. But yeah. um, you know, he just does everything that's asked of him and does it all well. He just seems like the the consummate professional, the ultimate team player. And he had a, a season that is going to be really, really, really hard to duplicate yeah. those numbers. And he's deserving of it. And he's going to win it. He's yeah. going to win it. So um, pretty awesome year. I, I got to watch a lot of it because he's a, a division rival. Like, yeah, it's not flash in the pan. It's not sexy, but it's consistent. And consistency, consistency beats sexy 10 out of 10. It's just the way that, it goes. That's how I got my wife. That's what I told her. Just consistent. <laughs> just consistently a pain in the ass. <laughs> All right, let's go on the defensive side of the ball. Once right. again, uh, you know, I'll let you start first. All right. So I had TJ Watt at the halfway point. Spoiler alert, I ended with TJ Watt. Uh, hard to discredit the body of work, man. 64 tackles, 22 and a half sacks. That's first in the NFL. 21 tackles for a loss, seven passes defense, five forced fumbles. Uh, three fumble recoveries. Um, he did it all, man. Did it all on a a struggling Pittsburgh team that just doesn't felt didn't feel like Pittsburgh teams. How can you uh, say a team is struggling when they make the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, they should not have been the playoffs. I, uh, I agree, but they still did. Uh, they still made the playoffs, but it just didn't feel like a typical Steelers <clears throat> team. Just hard to argue with with what he does. I know we talked about like in the offseason we were talking about our top pass rushers that like. He seemingly gets a lot of these sacks that, like, he's in the nine technique, he's wide nine, and somebody boots out to him, like, right into his lap on passing downs. There was far less of that this year, far yeah, more yeah, but you know production still, of the own sacks. You know what's still mad, maddening about T.J. Watt? And, yes, he, he – all right, so, for like, for example, they have Max Crosby. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but he has a boatload of more pressures than T.J. Watt. But T.J. Yeah, gets TJ, home. He TJ just, gets home, man. So it's just like how, if you really look at it, like is TJ just extremely overly efficient? But that's been his that's been his thing this whole career. He gets home, but it doesn't have like a the the amount of pressures don't really correlate with the the number of sacks. So how much is that? Beats flashy ten out of ten. <laughs> okay, and and I, I I do think it's a product of just being efficient. Like when he gets pressure, he gets home more than he misses like you at some point if that's if that's what the the statistics tell you year over year over year it's not a statistical anomaly it it starts to become the narrative and truth and good players and good players don't become lucky um they uh, make their own luck exactly i in the week nine i had defensive player of the year as miles garrett and i was feeling really good at that time but he kind of fizzled out towards the end uh, I had TJ Watt as well. I won't go too much into the stats because you really 
uh, you know, broke everything down. But uh, what I'm going to say is this. He did have 22 and a half sacks, which time for the most in the season ever by Michael Strahan. Don't forget, Michael Strahan got that cheap-ass sack against Brett Favre. What's really impressive, though, all right, and, and then we can go to the next, uh, you know, superlative, is that T.J. Watt got 22 and a half sacks in 15 games with no cheap-ass sack. Michael Strahan did it in 16 games. So yep. there you go. I, I was at that game. And we missed the sack because the game was over and we were walking out of the stadium and saw it on the big screen outside the stadium that Brett Favre called an audible and bootlegged right into yep. Strahan. Yep. All right. League MVP. This one's do wanna, tough. Do you want to do you want to end with that one? Do you want to come back to that? Or do you want to Yeah, no, we gotta we gotta come back to that one. Okay, yeah. let's come back to that. So let's get into comeback player of the year. Okay. You go first. This is gonna be controversial. Um because I, this is, I'm going to say for me, this is a player who I think it should be. I don't know if I think it will be, but I'm going to talk. It's a quarterback, obviously. It's the one who had the highest completion percentage at 70.4% this year. There's the one that was ranked sixth in passing yards at 4,600 yards. There's the one who had, who was ranked eighth in passing touchdowns with 34. I know you're looking perplexed now. Like what the hell's going on? It's the second, the one that was ranked second in the league with a quarterback rating of 108.3. Your comeback player of the year. And this is how much no, I'm not a hater. It's Joe Burrow. It is. Uh, Outside sorry. the box. It should be him. And I had the comeback player of the year. I did have a uh, a quarterback. It was Dak Prescott. but uh, And Dak Prescott played well. But I just can't ignore what, you know the numbers that Burrow put up. So halfway through the year, we were laudering between Dak Prescott and I was pounding the table for Nick Bosa. Mm -hmm. um, coming off that ACL, uh, played significantly less games than Dak, than Burrow last year, right? So he really, truly missed a season of football and came back and tore. And I could probably still sit here and, and pound the table for him. Um, but to me, this was a toss-up between two quarterbacks. I even gave Derwin some consideration after all of your lobbying on this. So I had to go back and investigate. Both for Derwin. Uh, Both for I, Derwin. Yeah, I know <laughs> that the who has now changed his number to number three. So I might like that's to, fire. That's I might fire. have to get that jersey because that's that that's is fucking, fire. A powder blue number three Derwin James jersey. Yeah, like I'll just that's fire. That'll just sit on my rack. I'll never wear. Just look at it every once yep. in a while. Listen, I'm I was a big Derwin fan when he came out, but um. It's Joe Burrow. It, it, there's <gasps> no other way to put it. It's Joe Burrow. I have him as well. Um, and I won't lie. I am partially influenced by his playoff moxie and, and poise. If I if I was really just going off the regular season, this probably no, arrow probably points to Dak. No, uh, no. Let me tell you why not. Okay. So don't forget Dak thirty-seven got, and ten. That's hard to Dak, yeah, that's hard yeah. to dispute. You, you know. Well, you know what? Dak got five cheap ass touchdowns against the, the Eagles' backup players. First and foremost, yeah. and and secondly, uh, you know the Bengals, who are the notoriously worst franchise in the Cowboys, uh, won their division. I know the Cowboys did too, but their division's way. The Cowboys are playing the NFC least. Are you kidding me? The yeah, Bengals yeah. are playing in, in the AFC North. They beat up on the Steers. They beat up on the Ravens. Two, and this is before the Ravens were, were pure shit because they lost Lamar Jackson. You know, they beat up 
on the on the Browns. You know, still even though they weren't great from a record standpoint, they were still a really competitive team. I'm sorry, man. Uh, it's Burrow all the way. Yeah, not arguing. I have Burrow too. Uh, so real quick, I, I need to go back a moment, and I need to go back to the defensive player of the year because I lo- I, I missed out on all of my thunder on something that I wanted to say. I, I just wanted to call this to your attention. Can you recite the name of the person that has most consistently appeared on my defensive player of the week list that nobody nobody knows? It's the guy who leads the league in tackles. Foyasadi Olukun Lou. 192 tackles this year. I know. He led the team. Two sacks, four TFLs, six pass defense, three INTs, and a force fumble. How is this man not in the Pro Bowl? That's criminal. Like, that's literally criminal. And I just, I had that as a bulletin to like bring all of my defensive players of the week rosters to come back. Um, to, to come back to him. I It is literally my lifetime dream to have him on our show because I will admit to him that I am his biggest fan in the entire league outside of family that he might have, right? Like, this guy is my guy. If he's yeah. ever a free agent, I will literally go – I will literally pay his salary to go to my team. Like, <laughs> I want him. All right, so we did come back play of the year. Let's get into coach of the year, and then we'll just go back to – because we're running long, and we'll get to yeah. league MVP. Okay. Um. Coach of the year, who you got? All right, so week nine, I uh, I had a controversial pick uh, that both uh, uh, made the show go trending with you and Jason's reactions when I listed Coach Urban Meyer, the coach of the year, uh, <laughs> probably for more of the things he did off the field for him to pull in that type of tail. Spoiler alert, he can't be their coach of the year because he didn't finish the season. <laughs> You know, this is semantics, Weston. Semantics, please. <laughs> All right. So uh, I had to. I was a little off, just a little off. Uh, my coach of the year is Mike Rabel, and let me pound the table and tell you why I personally think. Uh, in 2021, the Titans became the first team in NFL history to record at least eight wins against teams that finished the season with a winning record. This is without AJ Brown. This is without Julio Jones. This is without. Derrick Henry, and they play some damn good teams, man. They beat they beat up on the uh, the Rams. They beat up on the Bills. So, Niners. They beat teams with winning records. That's for sure. You know, and they also broke. And the and on the flip side, they also broke an NFL record. They used ninety one different players this season due to injuries. When you talk about next man up, I get it. You you know you you, you know you don't really believe it though. No. So for, for Mike Vrabel to put his players, especially a lot of backup players, in a way to succeed, to have the to get the one seed, seed yeah. against teams, you know, competing against, you know, the Chiefs, the Bills, uh, you know, the Bengals. I'm sorry, man. That is, I personally think it should. I, I know it didn't, this is without playoff implications, like what happened during the playoffs. I get it. I think it has to be Mike Vrabel. Yeah, so I toyed with Lafleur here from the Green Bay Packers. Screw that. He ain't nothing without. Uh, Doesn't that. matter, man. Your coach who's on your roster, consecutive, what three years in a row, like thirteen wins plus. It's hard to it's hard to dispute that doing the right things. But I too ended up with Mike Vrabel for all the wow. things, all the things that you just said. Who'd you have uh, in week nine? Oh, sorry, week nine. I had Cliff Kingsbury. 
from the Arizona Cardinals, who was the number one team in the NFL at that point in time. Yeah, but you should realize that NS, and the NFC. Hey, uh, I was West picking fan. the award based on where we were in the season. And when your team is the number one ranked team in the NFL in, in that point in the season, and it wasn't even close back then, bro. Like, I mean, they were. Uh, I think my Urban Meyer pick was uh, better than your Kingsbury pick. Probably. I mean, shit, it, <laughs> it looks better now at the end of the year. Um, but the most impressive thing to, to me about Vrabel is everything that you just talked about. The 91-plus players lost at some point due to injury, losing three superstars in Derrick Henry, uh, Julio, and, and A.J. Brown for majorities of the season. And and forget the, the next man up mentality. Just giving your team the belief that they can still win the game despite all of that, playing the caliber of teams that they played and beat and still ended up with the one seed. Like Yeah. Honestly, dude, they didn't even have to end the one in the one seed to get this from me. I agree. They made the playoffs. That was like, the that would have been that was enough. A chef's kiss. Yeah. You make the playoffs with what everything went, went through. Especially with that quarterback. Top 12 quarterback, yeah. <laughs> Bro, if he's even your top 15 next year, I'm looking for a new partner when we go through this. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the, the icing on the cake here. Save the best for last. League MVP. Definitively tell me who you had at week nine. Uh, I had Lamar Jackson. And the reason why I had Lamar Jackson is because he literally out – produced nine NFL teams with the amount of production from a passing standpoint and rushing standpoint and total yard standpoint. Uh, and I thought that was insane. Like one player out producing, uh, you know, teams, so many of them too, was, uh, you know, uh, you know, a fourth of the league he's outpacing. Uh, unfortunately that type of, sometimes that type of, uh, that style of play, that type of play uh, is not long lasting in the season. Because you know all those bumps and bruises and what have you, so it caught up with him. So I had Lamar Jackson. Uh, now, right now, I'm going to tell you who it's going to be, and I'm going to tell you who it should be. It's going to be Tom Brady because they're going to want to send him off. And I get it. He, I'm not trying to describe what he did. He led the league in passing yards, touchdowns, and he led his team to a 13-4 record. I get it. All right. So I, I, I'm not you know, disputing, he does have, uh, you know, that is a fantastic case to make. But all that being said, I think it should be Aaron Rodgers. He led the league in quarterback rating with 111.9. His TD to interception ratio was insane. Nine touch, nine touchdowns to one interception. That just, that just, that is mind boggling. Uh, he was third in completion percentage with 68.9%. I would have liked to see it up and go a little more around that 69 mark, uh, just for uh, you know jokes purposes. But he also led his team to a 13 and four record, and he had he was the first seed in the NFC. And I'm going to be frank here: his surrounding cast wasn't as robust as Brady's was. Brady yeah. had Evans, Godwin, you know, three quality tight ends, you know, a, a, a really good running back. Um, and also, he had Brown. Antonio Brown was born out in the beginning of the year, too. So, yep. I, I don't disagree with you. Um, it probably should be Aaron Rodgers. I have both of the both of those names up there. Yeah, you I, have to. You can't. I just can't overlook at times that that 
touchdown interception, like 37 to four. Like that's absurd. Um, I, 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 I'm, if I'm giving the award, it should be Aaron Rodgers. If I'm giving the award, I'm giving it to Tom Brady and I'm the biggest Brady detractor that there is. But like when you see, 5,300 yards, 43 touchdown passes, averaging 300 a game, a rating north of 100 for the year. And, oh, by the way, did I mention he's 44 years old? Like, it's just hard. And you can flip a coin and you're not wrong on whoever you choose of these two. Um, My coin landed, uh, landed goat side up. So I'm going to the goat. Uh, it, it's yeah, it will be Brady, but I I, I would vote for Rogers if I had a vote. Yeah, um, it, it's it's hard. Um, and then it's also like which one is like less smug, you know? And I, I go, is this, I is go this, Brady. Is this, is this a, a? It's a popular. This is the MLB uh, Hall of Fame voting exactly. coming into play. All right. So, oh, I should have said. Halfway through the year, by the way, I had Kyler Murray as my. Oh, you were really on that Cardinals bandwagon. <laughs> Hard to argue with what he was doing early, too, man, um, and doing a lot of it through the air. So, all right, so that wraps us up. We recap the championship weekend. You notice that you didn't hear much from us about the Super Bowl. We're saving that flavor for next week when we also come back and recap Senior Bowl this week. So. Next week is our one-year anniversary, Lou. We began this with our Senior Bowl coverage. So before we get to that, is there one name that you can think of off the top of your head that is somebody that you're interested in going back and watching practices, doing your scouting on, and seeing in the game this weekend? Well, you know me, I'm always going to – Stick to the trenches here because that's who's who I Is there am. anybody from Wisconsin Whitewater? <laughs> no. This game All right, but, but, but hear me out. That's where I'm going with this. Yeah. Uh, last year was Quinn Minerts. Uh, and this year, I, I believe his name is Travis Jones from uh, UConn, defensive tackle. He. Uh, this is going to be a meat and potatoes draft, I would say, uh, for the most part. And it's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, defensive uh, tackles, defensive ends, and edge rushers. So, uh, I think Travis Jones from UConn, uh, I saw a lot of his tape. He's looked fantastic during practice. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see how, you know, how he does uh, this, uh, this weekend. Nice. Uh, my, my player that I'm looking for the most, I don't even know why, because I don't even think my team has a, a need for it, but is uh, Christian Watson, the wide receiver from North Dakota state, uh, former Trey Lance teammate, can't ignore what Burrow and Chase are doing. And I'm not saying these two gentlemen are even on the same level as Burrow and Chase. But what I think is interesting about Watson is he's he's definitely a mid to late round type prospect. So he's not somebody that you have to relinquish your assets to get. But he's he's a big body guy. He's got some speed to him. Um, so I'm just interested to see how he plays out against a, a higher level of competition. Um, this weekend because I think he's gonna he's gonna have an opportunity to totally bolster his draft class like uh, his draft standing just like a lot of these people mm-hmm. um, will this weekend so I'm interested it, it leads us into our year anniversary but again that wraps us up uh, here at we're talking football Lou as I always do rely on you as to you know where we can be found you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at WTF Pod NFL and Weston 
Tell them where to find our pretty faces. If you, if you want to see these these stunning smiles and these striking eyes, go to We're Talking Football uh, on YouTube. Hit the like. Um, hit the subscribe. Sign up for those notifications so you know when the videos get posted. Make Weston pay. Subscribe to our channel so Weston drops some serious dove me at a restaurant with for me. I'd, I'd listen, the goal is 500. We get to 500 subscribers by the end of the 2022 season. Um, 2022-2023 season. Lou is going to be treated like royalty. Uh, dude, I'm not my eat, word. I'm not, we'll I'm do not, a show from where we're eating to prove it. Dude, I'm not even going to eat for like three days. I'm going to fast, bro. <laughs> don't do that. Your stomach's going to shrink, and then you won't even be hungry, and you'll uh, wait. You, you don't have to worry about that. I got some. <laughs> I got some PEDs anyway. So. <laughs> Lou, always a pleasure, my man. Enjoy the evening, and we'll catch up soon, brother. Take it easy, man. Adios.